I used to go speak at Home with a Heart, which is a Christian-based recovery center for drug addicts and alcoholics. And I went there once a month for about 10 years. Uh, and I remember one day I met a man named Russ. I began the meeting that, that particular day a little bit different from my normal, uh, the normal way I would begin a meeting. I said, guys, before I speak to you, I want you to speak to me. What is it in your life, there's a need, what needs in your life do you have that I could pray for you about? And so that, that was how I began the meeting. And the first person to speak up was a guy I later met whose name was Russ. And so when I said, what, do you need, what needs do you have that I can pray for you about? Russ's response was pride. To be honest, I was a little bit shocked, but I tried not to show it. I was shocked for two reasons. Usually guys who say, pray for me, pastor, they'll say one of three things in that alcohol and drug rehab center. They would normally say one of three things. First of all, some would say, pray that I break this addiction. You could understand that prayer request. Others would say, my court date is coming up as soon as I get out of here. Pray for that. You could understand that prayer request. Or they would say, pray for my family. I've done a lot of bad things. I've broken my family's heart. Pray for my family, my wife, for my mom. And, and so you could understand those kind of prayer requests. And that's normally what I hear. And so that was a little, one of the reasons I was shocked when Russ said, pray for me because of my pride. The second reason that I was shocked, and I'm not trying to make a joke, but it was just honest reflection. The second reason I was shocked when Russ said pride, because when he said that, I thought, what do you have to be proud of? You're, you're, in, a, you're in a facility for drug addicts and alcoholics. What do, you, what do you have to be proud of? So after the Bible study, Russ came up to talk to me. And I learned a little bit more of his story. I discovered that we're all from the same, we were both from the same area. In fact, I discovered that he knew my college roommate. Uh, and then he brought up the pride issue again. He said, and I quote, he said, When I grew up, I was always taught that you got yourself into this mess, now get yourself out. You broke it, you fix it. If you've got a problem, you solve it. Said that was the way I was brought up. That was what I was taught. You got yourself into this mess, you get out of it. He said, it wasn't until I came to this place that I realized how prideful that was. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, that's why I ask you to pray for my pride. Because I've been living like I don't need God. A lot of people have. A lot of people have lived like they don't need God. That's pride. I was reading a verse in my Bible recently that kind of reminded me of Russ. It was one of those verses that just kind of grabbed my attention. One of those verses, I don't know if you've ever done this, but as you read through the Bible, any time it's like, boy, you just have to apply their brakes here. You need to stop and look at that one again. Uh, that's what I was doing. I was reading through uh, a book and, uh, in the Bible, and, and I hit this verse, and it, more, it may be better to say it hit me. I want to show it to you. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a little bit hard to find unless you know how to look for it. So the easy way to look for it is just look for the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Go to the right and you'll find Proverbs. Then go to the right one more and you'll find Ecclesiastes. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 20. There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Let me read it again. I'm just going to switch a word here. Uh, There's not a righteous person on earth 
who does what is right and never sins. Uh, that verse struck me, just the, the truth of it. And I was reading that verse, I was reading in my study Bible. This is my preaching Bible, but I have a, a, a thick study Bible, NIV study Bible. So when I read it, that verse in my study Bible, I dropped down to see if there was a, a study note that accompanied that verse, and indeed there was. And the note under that verse, the study note said this, a sober biblical truth. I don't recall ever seeing that in my Bible. I don't recall ever seeing that in the study notes. A sober biblical truth. A sober biblical truth is a truth that's hard to hear, but we need to hear. It is a truth that many people don't want to face, but we need to face. So what is the truth found in Ecclesiastes 7.20 that's hard to hear and hard to face? Here it is. You are a sinner. All of us are. Now the word sinner is an uncomfortable word, isn't it? In fact, if I were to come to you just privately and look you in the face and say to you, you are a sinner, some of you would be offended by that. Some of you would say, how dare you? Because there's something almost offensive about that word. It's so almost offensive that we've kind of erased it from our vocabularies. We like to use other words instead of the word sinner. Andy Stanley says that the problem with the word sin is that it conjures up the image of God. You see, when my kids disobey, I I never said to them, you sinned against me. I said, you disobeyed me. Or if you break a rule of your company, they usually don't say, you sinned against this company. They usually say, you broke a company policy. We don't usually talk about things in terms of sin because when you use the word sin, it throws it into a completely different category. Sin assumes that there is a moral absolute of some kind. Sin indicates that there is a divine standard that I have failed to meet. And watch this. Sin indicates that there is someone to whom I am accountable. Now Jesus had dinner one night with some folks who really struggled with this issue about sin and sinners. I want you to go over to the New Testament. Let's just read this story. Put your finger there if you haven't left Ecclesiastes yet, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Put your finger there or maybe better yet a a piece of paper or something, some kind of marker and go over to the book of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 verse 13. Mark chapter 2 verse 13. And, And as I read this text, I want you to listen for the word sinner. In fact, when I get to the end of the text, I'm going to ask you how many times you see that word sinner in these verses. Mark chapter 2. Beginning of verse 13. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus went outside the lake. Jesus is in Capernaum, this, the village of Capernaum. And he goes outside, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, when you think of the tax collector's booth, I want you to think in terms of a toll booth. On the connector, there's a toll booth. And you can't go down that connector unless you stop and and give them some money. That's really what the tax collector's booth was. It it was a a booth that that sat right along the the major highway that went from Damascus down into Capernaum and over to the Mediterranean and down to Egypt. It was considered in that day the major highway of the day. Of course, it didn't look, look like our highways, but it was a major road. And the Romans would hire the Jews 
to sit there by the road and collect taxes for using that road. This particular tax collector's booth happened to be in Capernaum. It happened to be where Jesus was that day. And the Jews hated the tax collectors for two reasons. Number one, they're tax collectors. I mean, you, we don't have, you don't have to use your imagination for that one, right? They're tax collectors. But worse than that, they're Jews who are tax collectors for Rome. But worse than that, they're Jews who are tax collectors for Rome, and they also pocketed some of the money. It went like this. All right, as you come down the road, you see the tax collector or the toll booth, and you have to give your two shillings or whatever it would be. I'm just making that up. You have to throw in your two shillings. And then the tax collector, because he has the backing of Rome, then that Jew would say to his fellow Jews, come on, give us some more. Give me some more. And they knew that give me some more meant some more from my pocket. And those Jews couldn't do anything about it. Because this Jew sitting at the toll booth had the backing and the authority of Rome. So not only was this Jew taking money from fellow Jews on behalf of Rome, he was taking money from fellow Jews for his own pocket. If you were to call somebody a tax collector in that day, that was the worst name you could call somebody. They were hated. With that, that in mind, let's look at this story again. <clears throat> Romans, uh, Mark chapter 2. Verse 14, as he walked along, the shore, walked along, he saw Levi, or Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, perhaps later that evening, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and, what's that next word, church? Sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but, say it with me, but sinners. How many times did you see that word sinner in that text? Four times. Here's the irony. Jesus, the one who is perfect and holy and sinless, said, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. And that sounds backwards to us. If you have a hard time wrapping your mind around that concept that the one who is holy, sinless, and perfect came to call the sinners to follow him. If you have a hard time wrapping your mind around that, so did these people. First of all, we see in this story the Pharisees. The Pharisees were basically separatist. The best way to be holy in their mind was to stay away from those who aren't. Hear that again. The Pharisees, their philosophy was the best way to be holy is to stay away from those who aren't. Separate yourself from those who are not what they considered holy. The whole concept of righteousness, of relating to God for the Pharisees was based on my effort to be good and to stay good. That, that was the Pharisees. The tax collectors, I've already talked about their role. The tax collectors were the Jews who worked for Rome and they were considered traitors. 
And they were considered thieves. Traitors because they worked for Rome and took money from the Jews. And thieves because they took extra money from the Jews for their own pocket. They were hated as traitors and thieves, the tax collectors. And then there's another group that's mentioned in this story, and that is those who were referred to as the sinners. And it's even in quotation marks to emphasize who they were. The sinners. The sinners were those people who did not follow the law like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees considered anybody who did not follow the law of Moses, especially who didn't follow it the way they did, they considered them to be sinners. So the tax collectors and sinners were lumped together, and they were considered, listen to this, in fact, this is found in one translation, they were considered to be, the tax collectors and sinners were considered to be the scum of the earth. That's actually in one of the translations that, that I was reading. Tax collectors and sinners were referred to as the scum of the earth. And that's why the Pharisees, the separatists, had such a problem with Jesus eating with them. Because if you ate dinner with someone, it was a sign of friendship. And they could not get their mind around the concept, why would Jesus be a friend to the scum of the earth? Verse 16. That's the question that they raise. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It became evident to these Pharisees that Jesus was deliberately associating himself with the outcast of Jewish society. And then Jesus uses this opportunity as a teaching time. He hears the discussion going on about him, and he uses this opportunity as a teaching time. Verse 17 On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who, church? But the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Those watching in the Life Center, those watching online, and everyone here today, uh, you might want to underline that phrase. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what Jesus knew. A self-righteous man. A self-righteous man will never realize his need for forgiveness because he doesn't see the need. He doesn't see himself as being that bad. He doesn't see himself as God sees him. He's a self-righteous person. But hear me and hear me well. The only person that God will forgive, the only person that God will change is not the person who is self-righteous. It is the person who sees himself as a sinner. I want to show you another story that just underlines this. I want you to go to the uh, Gospel of Luke, over to the right, one book. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 9, beginning of verse 9. And the little subheading there, over verse 9, at least in my Bible, perhaps in yours as well, it says, the parable, in other words, this is not a true story, but it's a, it's a parable, it's a teaching. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Have we heard those two names already this morning? Sure we have. The parable, Jesus wants to further this teaching, this idea. So he tells a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness. Oh, just look how that's setting up. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, self-righteousness, and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. 
two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee or a separatist, and the other, a tax collector, the scum of the earth. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Can you see the self-righteousness in this man? He's standing there in the temple and he's saying, God, I thank you that, that I'm not like other people. And you're pretty fortunate to have me on your team. And oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That might be where he got the idea for that, Matt got the idea for that song. I thank you that I'm not like every man. And I especially thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood up, or stood at a distance. He did not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's nothing in what he prayed to indicate that there was any worth in himself. There was nothing about, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've tried to do this, and I've tried to be this. All he prayed was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, this is where it gets real interesting in verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. He went home forgiven. He, he went home made right with God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here's the one point I've got for you today. Here's the one lesson I want you to take home. Here's the one thing I want to drive into your heart and into your mind. And here it is. Embracing your sinfulness enables you to be embraced by God. Embracing your sinfulness enables you to be embraced by God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man who went home forgiven. That's the man who went home embraced by God. Do you remember what... Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark 2.17? When we were looking at that text, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Warren Wiersbe, the great theologian, said this about that text. He said, there are two kinds of people that Jesus can't heal. Those who know about Him, but refuse to trust Him. And those who will not admit that they need Him. You see, a lot of people don't think that they need a Savior. A lot of people think what they need in their life is a helper. They don't need a Savior. They need a helper. They need someone to help them with their problems. They need someone to help them with their addictions. They need someone to help them with their loneliness. They need someone to help them with their guilt. They need to help with their marriage. They need help with their emptiness. They need help with their depression. But Jesus does not want to help you. Jesus wants to heal you. But he can do none of that. He can do none of that until you recognize the depth of your sin. You see, it's only when we acknowledge the depth of our sin, it's only when we acknowledge the depravity of our sin that we're willing to acknowledge our desperate need of a Savior. 
In fact, I, I, I want to prove this to you. You don't have time to turn there. You can just write down the reference. Uh, the reference I want you to write down is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was considered by many, even today considered by many, to be one of, if not the greatest Christian to ever live. One of the greatest Christians, at least, to ever live. And here is what Paul said about himself at 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Christ came to save sinners, Paul said, and by the way, I'm the worst. Paul saw himself as a sinner. How do you see yourself? See yourself as a moral man, a moral woman, a good person? I understand that. But my guess is when we see ourselves as a moral man or a good woman, my guess is that we sometimes avoid the issue of sin. And by the way, do you know how we avoid the issue of sin? We call it something different. You know what we call it? We call it mistakes. You didn't sin. You made a mistake. The problem is deep down, if you're honest, you know better, don't you? Deep down, you know it wasn't a mistake. Deep down, you know it was deliberate. Deep down, you know that what you did was calculated. Deep down, you know it was intentional. It was not a mistake. Deliberate. And it sometimes is repeated. Remember what my friend Russ said? He said, my problem is I've been living like I don't need God. My problem is I've been living like I could handle everything. You see, it's not that we occasionally do bad things. That's not the problem. The problem is we are sinners. And remember what Ecclesiastes said? There is not a person on earth who always does what's right and never sins. Now, to prove the point, I want you to turn to this last text. I want you to go over to the book of Psalms, over to the left in the Old Testament. We just find Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written by a man named David, a man after God's own heart but a man who also struggled with sin. Specifically in this psalm was the sin of adultery. David was unfaithful to his marriage vows and David had sex with a woman who was not his wife. And David was racked with guilt and shame and remorse. And David did not call it a mistake. He called it what it was. And I want you to see the outcome. Psalm 32 Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And watch this, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There's There's a dash there. It's as if he puts his pen down for a moment and he thinks about it. Then he picks his pen back up and he writes these words of gratitude. And you forgave the guilt of my mistake. That's not what he said. 
You forgave the guilt of my sin. See, the truth is, we all need that. We all sometimes have to confess our guilt before God. And here's the incredible thing. God's agenda in pointing out our sin is not condemnation. God's agenda in pointing out our sin is forgiveness. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the good news. That's the wonderful news. Ecclesiastes 7.20 There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. You're not looking at one either, by the way. There's not a righteous man on earth who always does what's right and never sins. But let's not call it a mistake. Let's call it what it really is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And David said, and when I finally understood that, I experienced something I'd been wanting to experience for a long time, and you forgave the guilt my sin God wants to set you free Satan wants to keep you bound God wants to give you hope and a future Satan wants to keep you chained to your past but you can't call it a mistake you can't call it a bad decision You have to call it what it really is. You have to call it what God calls it. And when you, here's here's, here's the point, remember the point. When you embrace your sinfulness, you position yourself to be embraced by God. I hope you'll do that. Here in the Life Center, watching online. Embrace your sinfulness before a holy God. Genuinely embrace your sinfulness and it will position you to be embraced by a loving God. Pray with me. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Two groups of people I want to talk to today. The first group is those of you who have never trusted Christ as Savior. Perhaps you're like the young lady that I spoke to this morning. Have you ever confessed to God that you are indeed a sinner, that that you have sinned, and that you need a Savior? Have you ever confessed to God, God, I'm done with self-righteousness. I I know that I'll never be good enough. I know that I can never keep the law. I'm done with self-righteousness. God, I need the righteousness that comes from you. So today, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I'm trusting in you and you alone. Have you ever done that? I want to lead you in a prayer here, those online, those in the LC. I want to lead you in a prayer. And this is not a prayer that you just need to pray every day and everybody pray this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking specifically to some of you right now that the Holy Spirit has convinced you you are indeed a sinner and you are in need of a Savior. When you come to that point of realization, you are at the place where you can cry out and ask God to be your Savior. To forgive you of your sins. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come for sinners. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, what He did on the cross on your behalf, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I believe you died in my place on the cross. And today, once and for all, I'm trusting in you. Once and for all, I'm turning to you. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life and cleanse me. I'll live my life for you. In Jesus' name. Every head still bowed. Now, of course, I can't see those watching online or those over in the Life Center. But here in the sanctuary, I can see you. If you've prayed to receive Christ today, I'm not going to run back to you or embarrass you, but I'd like to know and rejoice with you. Would you slip your hand up and just raise your hand real quickly? Just raise it up, hold it for just a minute till I see it. All right. All right, thank you. Now, head's still bowed. I, one other group I need to talk to today. It may be that culture says you're not guilty. It may be that your friends say anybody would do what you did. It may be that your unconscious says it was a mistake. But you know it wasn't. You know it was deliberate. It was an intentional. It was sin. But today I hope you understand that embracing your sinfulness is what positions you to be embraced by God. You see, the minute that you see your sin for what it really is, is the minute you become a candidate for God's grace and God's forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you do that right now? Would you just confess your sins, not to me, but to the Lord? Let Him embrace you. Just take a moment and talk to Him right now. Father, we're grateful that You are Lord and You are God and You are merciful and You are gracious. And we're grateful for this sober truth that we are none of those things. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. But may You work in our life in such a way that we begin to live our lives for You. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.